0: Мы степеньем, да? А, да, все оборудованы.
1: Bristol currently and uh, picking up the uh, position here in and It's about uncertainty. In, I thought that in mm-hmm. machine learning, that's why I've data mining. The floor is course. yours, please. The uh, data
0: mining course after all. Machine learning, so you missed that already. Um, so, good morning. Uh, my name is Ray Spoody. Uh, so, I'm today going to talk about uncertainty in data mining. Uh, One reason being is that I I just uh, meet uncertainty in my research pretty much every day and uh, I think that's a very important part of data mining uh, you kind of uh, try to deal with uncertainty in your data and in your modeling of the data. Um, So, I'm working currently in in a project in Bristol, which is called Sphere. Um, and the reasoning behind that project is that, well, um, there are in the 21st century there are clearly a lot of healthcare challenges up there, particularly because of the uh, increasingly ageing population, and uh, so there are big numbers already of uh, elderly people uh, who need some support from the healthcare system and and the numbers are going up and then there are particular uh, long-term health health conditions which uh, uh, need some attention from the uh, healthcare system Um, so here i highlighted obesity diabetes depression heart disease dementia and there are several others and it's not necessarily only the elderly it's, it's also um, young and healthy people who perhaps have had some injury and then uh, they are recovering from that uh, and maybe then they also could uh, be needing some kind of support from the healthcare system so in the end there is some technology uh, that needs to be there to kind of fill the gap between the expectations of people and, and the actual uh, healthcare system uh, because of the lack of resources that is always there so the question is whether technology can help us in any way So in the SCARE project, which is uh, short for Center Platform for Healthcare in Residential Environments uh, we are looking at uh, equipping uh, houses with sensors and, and many different kinds of sensors um, a lot of them are just an environmental, like temperature and uh, light, level and, and so on. Uh, water, electricity consumption, uh, and then there are video, and there are wearables on your wrist, uh, and then any other inform- meta information about the household. Um, and of course, there are ethical issues that are involved, and uh, people need to. Uh, consent with, with, with all of this, and then they can also give a consent to to some of the you know, get equipped with some of the sensors, but not for instance video, because they just don't, don't want to. <coughs> um, so, in particular, I'm working in work package, which is dealing with data fusion and data mining. And uh, data fusion is, well, you have different kinds of sensors Uh, Measuring and then you want to kind of fuse the information together to get some analysis with all sensors included. And some of the key challenges there are uh, in in our project that we see uh, is that even if we have kind of um, are able to perform the analysis on one household, it's not necessarily working the same way in the other household and uh, so there are differences that we need to deal with also we want to do activity recognition from the sensor data recognize what the people are doing um, and uh, that can involve problems like the activities are overlapping in time or it can be kind of hierarchical so um, there is a specific uh, term under under the deep, um, So for instance movement is a general general term, but there are different kinds of movements These are more specific And we need to deal with missing data, we need to deal with uncertainty We need to be able to summarize uh, a long period of time in terms of what activities were involved And uh, we need to support some decision making on top of those those, uh, central data Uh, For instance um, Maybe there are situations where actually uh, some emergency uh, situations we need to um, inform uh, the doctor or uh, call 999, which is an emergency number in the UK. Or maybe it's uh, just uh, you know, uh, decisions about um, what data to keep, what data to erase, because we just don't have uh, capabilities of uh, keeping everything and there are many other possible things involved Uh, so this lecture is about uncertainty and um, I have it in this list so this slide is from another presentation that I made um, but then now preparing here I realized that pretty much all of those things involve uncertainty in some way Um, so the difference is between households, well, we know we have some information about the households, but maybe not the full information, there is some uncertainty there, um, the activities are overlapping, uh, and we are uncertain about when they start and the end, missing data is of course, uh, uncertainty about what the actual data should be, and so on. Um summarization, there could be several stories to tell from the same amount of time we're not sure which one is the best one to tell. Decision making is highly based on uh, uncertainty. So, in order to make good decisions, you need to know about the uncertainties. So that's why why I find this really important task. And, and so, this lecture is going to be about uncertainty. And uh, we will first just uh, I'll give a brief introduction about different kinds of uncertainty. Um, Not an exhaustive list, but just some. Um, I will just give a a, provide a method how to deal with uncertainty so that we can actually include it in a relational database. Uh, Talk about possible world view relation. You'll hear about them later. Some algorithms that can be built on top, and then in the end, Gaussian processes. Okay. (coughs) So what kind of uncertainty data there are well first of all uncertainty is um, just um, it's caused by our inherent limited way of perceiving the world basically and uh, uh, so there are, it could be because uh, the equipment that we use to get the data is kind of limited or, or maybe um, the resource to collect and to store and transform the data is, is uh, somehow limited, but uncertainty can be also uh, can be here. And so, let's say there is a survey about which presidential candidate you like. And this is not up to date, of course. So let's say it's uh, if it's U.S. and it's Trump and uh, Clinton, and if it's Estonian, then yet we'll to more than it's uncertain who are the candidates it's uncertain yeah the There are candidates are the candidates um, so even if you express some opinion in your survey uh, in your poll then it's just a, uh, your current estimate it's, it's uh, not kind of ground proof necessarily if you if you have to um, quantify your percentage somehow in your, how confident you are these are just estimates and maybe there is not you ground yeah, truth um, so I'm in particular interested in sensor data uh, in my project and that, uh, so there are of course uncertainties with sensors so they are measuring uh, different um, properties of the world uh, and they're used for different purposes um, but they are never ideal uh, so what is an ideal sensor? If, if we are measuring temperature, I'm, I think of the kind of the old temperature sensor, which is just a um, the, what's, it, what's it called, the Lapua, that's it. Uh, yeah. Quick silver? No. Yeah. Yeah. Mercury. Yeah. Sorry? Mercury. Mercury. It, uh, okay. So uh, those those silver silverly metal, which which uh, measures temperature nicely, because it and then ideally this is a linear linear process so the higher the temperature goes this is kind of linearly going up so um, that's the ideal world and then you can just uh, introduce a linear scale and and measure the temperature Um, and so sensitivity here is, is a term which and it refers to the ratio between the output signal and the metric property um, ratio, well there are units of course but if you forget about the units then you can come up with some number uh, but there are measurement errors uh, for different reasons and um, so for instance um, that ratio can be different from what we expected so somehow um, we, the way that the thermometer was made the kind of um, the tube is too thin and the, the mercury goes out faster than expected and, uh, so, uh, so the scale is off and then you need to rescale it but then once you do the rescaling it's already fine again um, it can be offset so when it but we can shift and correct for that, that's fine If it's worse when it's non-linear, so somehow in certain parts of the scale it's, it's uh, moving faster, then we need to do a nonlinear scale. But that's also possible um, To once we just introduce the lines in a different way. So, in that sense, they are not introducing extra, extra uncertainty, perhaps, once we have corrected for them. But there are some sources of error which we, just, we just can't correct for really. And uh, for instance, if, if the temperature changes really fast, we, we can't. Uh, it takes time for, for the bar to raise and, so, and therefore we have an error which we cannot later correct for. And there can be drifts in the data in the way that um, somehow the measurement device, uh, even if the actual environment stays the same, the measurement device somehow it's performing worse and worse. Maybe that doesn't happen, in the moment with some other sensors, it does. And there can be noise, and um, so the measurement device can be dependent on other factors from the environment, not only the temperature for instance. And then if it's, it's a digital sensor, then there is some sampling rate which is involved, and uh, that can introduce further error. So, all to say there are lots of sources of uncertainty and here's a different kind of example with um, survey data so someone needs uh, so the person is filling in a form putting in some numbers and some letters and later it's often hard to recognize what the exact numbers were Um, so this this number in the UK would often be recognized as a seven um, rather than one and this could be 5 or 6, um, and the person could be singular married in principle, it's, not, it's a bit uncertain. Uh, well, this is social security number, so it should be unique among people, so they can't be 185 both, so one of them has to be an error. Um, here's another example, uh, with cars car repairs, um, so somehow the customers have specific, uh, there is information about customers, uh, how much the repairs have cost and what kind of repairs, where it was um, and so on. Maybe that's in, if this is the state within the United States, maybe in some fields the value is uh, um, not the actual state but it's kind of more broad term like the east of the United States or maybe some of the fields here is a truck rather than actual brand of, of, the, of the car, just, just kind of a type here, so the, these introduce uncertainty as well. Um, another example um, here are the database schemas, so there are two sources of data we want to combine them. Both involve uh, a table with a a name of the person, uh, the email address um, and then permanent address, well in one case and current address, but in the other case they are slightly different mailing address, home, office address. We want to map these schemes somehow so that we can combine the data and well name and email these nicely go together but then The other addresses we are uncertain about how to combine them. Uh, And then perhaps we we have we are considering three options of how to merge these fields. And maybe we want to put together the permanent address and home address, um, and current address and mailing address, but maybe instead we want to just um, Put permanent address and mailing address together. So there are different ways of doing that. And here, what we have done is to kind of introduce probabilities. So we are considering that these three are all possible options, but then we specify the probability uh, with what uh, this is a right option. And we'll see probabilities quite a bit more during the lecture because probabilities are. Uh, one of the best ways to measure or quantify uncertainty. Uh, another example so, uh, if I'm running a query on the web to find out about some researcher that I know, and then I put the names are not unique, so there are with the same name, there are many people in different universities, and sometimes there are ways to. To, uh, determine which, which query result that corresponds to which person, but sometimes not, so there is uncertainty there. Um, with, um, with some data, it can happen that even though if you get the data set, it looks fine, there are kind of no missing data, but if you uh, dig deep deeper and then look into this, you, you realize that there are in disguise and in a hidden way there are missing data for instance if there are kind of uh, forms that you fill in and there are many forms that you need to fill in on the web if you want to register somewhere and and you just don't bother putting the right details there or you just don't want to so what you often might do is just any drop down menu you just select the first option Uh, so here we go, Alabama is uh, a very popular choice in this uh, registration form just because it's the first one and what the result is that in any data set there that you have gathered not only you don't know about these people people whether they are Alabama or not but people who actually are from Alabama you cannot be sure of them anymore either so there's extra certainty about that particular state or if you put in somewhere birth date, well there are many people who generism first as their birthday, right? Um, so the question is how should the data analysis later work? Uh, so there is disguised missing data and, and um, this introduces uncertainty. Now one possible way of dealing with missing data is just let's throw it all away. We still maybe have enough of uh, data which is not missing and maybe we can just do all our our analysis with that data. And that is perfectly fine if you do have a lot of data. But more often than than not, not, well you don't have enough. So you better then include that um, data and not throw it away. So what you then need to do is to kind of model the uncertainty in your data and so if it's a temperature maybe maybe you need to model um, that there's an actual sensor reading but you, you consider a normal distribution around that value and then all these uh, values that are close by are also kind of reasonably possible. Um, but, uh, You can then, even though you are uncertain about the exact value, for some queries it is still fine. So if the measurement says uh, 20 degrees, then you can be almost 100% sure that it is less than 50 degrees. So if your query is giving all the cases where the temperature is below 50, you can easily just give out those ones which are 20 or 10 because you are sure that they are different. If the query is giving all that are less than 21 maybe then you're less sure whether the one that is 20 is actually uh, smaller and maybe some value which is actually measured 22 might also be smaller than the 21. It's just a measurement error. (coughs) So there are ways that uncertain data can be used and that uh, can provide uh, than probabilistic answers to, to queries. Um, so, for instance, um, we could estimate the percentage of married voters supporting Obama um, from survey data, or we could estimate the total repair cost, uh, but for instance, in aggregated in a different way. So, so this was more specific, not just all supporters, but some uh, married voters, but uh, there was, you remember, there was this uncertainty about some of the forms whether it was a married or a single person because of the way it was uh, ticked several times. Uh, and uh, so, in that second query, the question that the, the query is in an aggregation level uh, where there is this ease which covers many states, but that means. You can also safely return the query where value was eased, and of course, those which are in specific states of eased. Um, so some queries can deal with uncertainty in some way. Um, so, as I said, one possibility is just to remove all your uncertainty. And that can mean, for instance, if you have many attributes in your data, maybe Uncertainties only in some attributes and then you, maybe you can just throw that attribute away as a whole or maybe there are in some rows or records of the data that are uncertainties you can throw those away but then you reduce the data and, and, uh, so what you might be able to do is to then change the granularity so if, if your data has these states but sometimes it's east or west, maybe it's fine to just aggregate always. So that you're, uh, instead of a state, you always record only whether it's east or west. Maybe for your, the questions that you're asking, that's fine. And then you have to remove your uncertainty, because now suddenly, for all records, you can tell whether they are east or west. Um, but you then cannot answer more detailed questions. Well, in general, if you need to answer queries with which involve probabilities or uncertainty, then it's um, a bit trickier than just the usual queries. So, something needs to do, be done with that. And um, if, you, if you simplify your uncertain data to certain data, then you're not using the full potential, and then, so often it's useful to to use these probabilities a general view on how analysis of uncertain data could could work is is this so you have uh, uh, your data which involves uncertainty and then you gather that uh, you you kind of quantify that uncertainty or or record it everywhere and then build a database out of it and then on top of that you might be able to Queries which involve uncertainty, and maybe build bigger analysis that uh, work with uncertainty. Um, so, how can we um, gather data about uncertainty? So sometimes we want to kind uh, of well find out about how much noise there is. In, for instance, temperature, we have a temperature sensor which we need to use every now and then, but Maybe we can do some kind of experiments on that and gather information. So, for some time, use several thermometers or somehow try to realize, try to understand what the noise level and what the uncertainties are. It's a bit tricky because it's impossible to um, collect all the data that that would remove the uncertainty. The uncertainty still remains, but. um, so we just need to uh, get as much information as we need, as it's possible, and then work with that data. <coughs> and uh, so where can the asset to be? It can be on the attribute level, as I said. Uh, so it can be that for some, for, in the survey example, it's not clear whether the uh, person is married or single, so that's uncertainty about one value, one attribute, but there can be more general uncertainties. So for instance, maybe for some records in the data, we don't know even, we are uncertain about the whole record, whether the record is true or not. And, and that's what we call here object-level uncertainty, or tuple of attributes, tuple of the uncertainty so now we've passed our introduction and looking at uh, representing uncertainty in the data so here are these um, examples with uh, survey forms and uh, we want to represent it somehow in the database let's say and uh, what we could have kind of a objects so each of those forms becomes an object and then there are for some uh, attributes that are uncertainties and maybe we then assign a probability there. So we add this probabilistic information and once we have done that there start to be some constraints so for instance both of these cannot be 185 at the same time because it needs to be a unique identi- identifier uh, so these we represent with this, this uh, plus in a circle um, but another way of representing that is is to use so this is kind of attribute level uncertainty but we can also represent that with a a record level uncertainty so instead we could just put in the database several records and for each of those records uh, give that confidence value or percentage so now we are kind of not confident in the whole There is uncertainty about the whole record Uh, and in addition there are some constraints which are also called generation rules so that this record 1 and record 2 cannot be in the database at the same time because Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith cannot have two different numbers uh, of identity Um, so there are these constraints involved now Um, so that One possible way of representing this kind of data is to take your uh, usual relational database, put in uh, several copies with each record with with different possible values and then somewhere report the uncertainty. (coughs) Here is another example of uncertainty, so let's say um, it is um, people moving around uh, with mobile phones in their pockets and we can kind of localize them somehow but their the localization is not precise and then if we do a query of how many people are in this box or, or give me all the people who are in this box, well we cannot be sure about some of them. So this we can be sure about, this we can be sure about that it's not in the box but these two there is uncertainty. Um, and so, so in this case it's a bit trickier so we kind of it's harder to represent them in, in a relational database because these kind of regions there are well even if they're circular well, we need to in, in principle there are infinitely many possible locations for that person. so we cannot just add all possible records in the database so dealing with this kind of uh, Uncertainty is about continuous attributes, a bit, is a bit tricky, and we will talk about that a little later. Um, so, but uh, there is this kind of correspondence between these probabilistic tables and uncertain objects. So, uh, probabilistic uh, tables in this way, in this sense, so there are some fields have uh, more than one value or uncertainties uh, of reference so we can can map one to another and back for for, uh, discrete data categorical data but um, so if these are discrete instances uh, we have a few different possible values but with continuous worlds we can do one way but not well can have uncertain let, let me see how it is now um, so uncertain objects with continuous probability density functions uh, cannot be represented using a finite probabilistic table so if you have uncertainty uh, about location maybe you can even somehow record the somewhere in the database say that it's normal distribution but you cannot copy it to introduce many records and then have probabilities there. Um, so, you cannot, in a continuous case, you cannot do this kind of thing. So, if there are, this would be height, for instance, and you have uncertainty about height, well, it's, and you want to have good precision and not just uh, um, 185, 186, and 184, maybe you could have three values in the database, and that's fine. So, but in that case, you're treating height as a discrete variable. You're not considering more real values. Um, okay. Um, so here is another example. Um, so let's say we have a we have cars uh, measured with speed measured by radars, and then uh, in different locations and at time, in particular times, when there is plate number recognition, there is P but there is some um, uncertainty about this for instance, maybe our plate recognition system doesn't work very well um, so maybe it was just a bit dusty, this uh, muddy uh, plate and we couldn't recognize it well or, or for some other reasons, reasons. And then maybe we know that uh, locations 2 and 3 are really far apart, so it's no way that the car could have made it in 15 minutes, even in high speed. So then we suddenly know that one of these has to be wrong, t2 or t3. And then we can have this kind of generation rule again. And maybe the same for 4 and 5. And then we might have some uh, confidence levels there, which could add up to 1. Maybe they could add up to a smaller value, so maybe all both of those are wrong, for instance, and then these don't add up to one anymore. Um, right, so we, we could have that, and uh, we could also now of visually represent this. So we we have these pairs of uh, records which which cannot be true at the same time, but we we, we plot them both and then write the probability there. And we then keep in mind that if possi- they cannot be both there, it's possible that just one of them is there. And so we, we have this figure in mind, but we, we also should um, imagine kind of different possible worlds. So in some possible worlds, this is true and this is not. In another possible world, it's, it's the other way around. And then at the same time, it could be that this and this are true, or it could be that this and this are true, or this and this. Uh, so there are, and this could be true, or in some world it might not be true, so we are considering many possible worlds. And uh, so what is a possible world? It's, it's a kind of a possible snapshot that maybe observed a possible state uh, which doesn't have kind of conflict in it, and uh, it's a set of records uh, or let's say it's a subset of all, all records in our example. Um, and each generation rule say that uh, it gives a pair which cannot be at the same time in the same possible world. Um, and then, oh, that was about this uncertain object model. Um, let me see. At most one instance project in a possible world, this is what I meant now, Uh, but uh, I'm a bit confused, but wow. What what should be meant here, I think, is that if there are attributes where there is uncertainty there, in one possible world there is one value or the other. And then each possible world has some kind of probability as well. So um, as we see here. So uh, there are these confidence values. And now there are possible many possible worlds. Uh, for instance, one possible world is that first record, second record, sixth, and fourth uh, are in the database. And the others are not there. And then we can calculate. Do some maths about what's the probability of that happening, and that is just a product of of all these probabilities. And um, well, there's another way of seeing that. Once you've done this, you can see in which possible worlds the first record is included. So these are first four, and yes, if if you add these up, you get also 0.4. So this all works.
1: But can I ask? So it's it's all about uncertainty. Yes. Uh, you say that the value is uncertain, but there are some mutual exclusivity. Mm-hmm. How certain can you be about that? Because your example of car can't be in the two locations is a very artificial rule. You would mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. bank robbers getting into that camera with that number plate. So it's uncertain actually. Mm-hmm. The mutual exclusivity. Mm-hmm. So who, who makes these rules? Um, and then, of course, you will get into the some kind of combinatorial exclusion mm-hmm. uh, Yes, well
0: uh, right away I I don't see a, a way of making this work in, in this particular setting but of course there are other settings uh, to deal with uncertainty so, um, so in In a moment, we'll see about uh, uh, graphical models. These are powerful things that can deal with, in principle, all kinds of uh, uncertainties. I would say, um, at least in the discrete world. Um, So, so here there are, or actually. Actually, this can. It's like, this is exactly this. So this can do it. Do it if I uh, understand now correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, so for instance, we might have a new rule saying that one implies as number two. Maybe we somehow know that. I don't know. We're traveling. fire whatever Whatever. Let's forget about the meaning. We might have some. In some domains, we might have these kind of new rules obtained from some other knowledge, and then uh, let's see if we can represent that probabilistically as well. So, um, so we can now. Well, this says that if T, well, there is kind of that the probability of whether T two is true or not depends on on the value of t1. And so for t1, the, there is this 0.4 probability. So um, this can be represented with this table. So the value for t1 is 1. It means that the record is present with probability 0.4, or it's not present with probability 0.6. Um, but then the probability of t2 depends on t1. And in particular, well, if t1 is 0, then t2 is there with probability 0.1 and it's not there with probability 0.9 but if t1 is present, then it's the other way around so t2 is more likely to be present so that is exactly kind of uh, telling me that maybe there is uh, uh, this this new rule is kind of not a certain rule, but it involves uncertainty. So if T one is true, there is still some probability about T two.
1: Was this somehow inferred, or uh, provided no. by
0: expert? No, this this needs to be provided by expert in this case. There are ways to learn graphical models, but uh, this and here we are playing the game that this is given by the expert.
1: That they are missing together, they are present together. Um, most yes.
0: Yes. Um, so, which is not even so much uh, implication, but just uh, I would say it's, it's two two directional. I um, think causality doesn't have to be symmetric. it doesn't have to be. Um, but here in this example, it is for T two T2 and T three as well. Um, they are more likely. To be both present or both absent, and less likely to be uh, one present than the other absent But these could be any numbers here. Uh, just uh, these two need to add up to one. And these two need to add up to one. And so basically, these are called conditional probabilities. Uh, so um, and these tables are called factors and. Uh, Once you have these kind of tables you can do all kinds of things with probabilities so you can calculate what's the probability that T1 is present, T2 is not, and T3 is present. Uh, And then you just do some maths with these uh, factors and then get the answer. Mm. So this is also called a Bayesian network um, and a more general selling this graphical model. so whenever you hear someone say Bayesian, um, first you should think probability, uh, so there are some probabilities involved. The uh, there is um, Bayes' rule uh, which is talking about uh, conditional probabilities, x conditioned on y and y conditioned on x, and how they relate. And there is a huge field of graphical models which, which can build all possible kinds of uh, networks with, with these uh, uh, kind of different variables and they are going kind to of specify which ones are correlated and which one depends on which other and uh, these kind of things can be uh, written down and this should be perhaps uh, another lecture or even another course on those it's, it's a huge huge field so I won't touch more on that so let me just say that yeah, once you have that, you can calculate all possible probabilities for all combinations, um, which then gives you these uh, probabilities for the possible worlds. And uh, there is a nice language called Ether.net, um, developed in Microsoft. and. Um, I haven't used it myself much, but there is a colleague of mine who's, who's worked in Microsoft and was using it a lot uh, for doing all kinds of inferences, so you just kind of define your random variables in that language and then you say what is observed and, uh, um, and then you can just uh, let, the language, uh, let the inference engine to provide you with all resulting probabilities. If you have probability theory uh, exercises, you might be able to do some of those programmatically. <clears throat> and it works not only in discrete uh, random variables, but also with continuous random variables such as kind of normal distributions or Gaussian distributions. So the whole idea of these possible worlds is that you have kind of probabilistic database which uh, can be then represented as a list of possible worlds and in each possible world there is a subset of the uh, records and then you have a probabilistic query which you then, you need to have a way to run uh, so um, some of the things that I'm telling you probably are not very well implemented anywhere yet uh, So. There are many tools with uncertainty, but I think there are more, many more to come in five, ten years uh, so later in your uh, career you will possibly have more, nicer tools to actually work with uncertainty and um, it is possible that at this moment many of the things you actually need to program yourself um, but there are some you know, helping tools like this in Per.net, and uh, I will show you later how processes for instance uh, um, which are not wor- working exactly with this possible world scenario, but uh, 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 you'll see in a moment. So um, there are these, uh, probabilis- there's a probabilistic query, and then in principle it can be implemented somehow, and so it kind of selects a subset of possible worlds and kind of summarizes the results into perhaps another probabilistic database. Okay. Um, next, I'm going to specify a particular uh, concept, which is U-U uh, U relation. So, first, consider this example. So, let's say we have an aerial photograph of a battlefield field, and we want to recognize where are uh, tanks and transport other vehicles, and uh, which are friendly, which are uh, um, enemies, and Maybe let's say we have some kind of prior knowledge that in this circle somewhere there is a friendly tank and in this circle there is a friendly transport and in this one there is an enemy tank and then uh, that's all we know and then we suddenly see that there is one vehicle here, another here, another here, another here and we need to figure out which of them are friendly and uh, which of them are uh, tanks or transport Here this is easy. It's only one vehicle here and this must be the friendly tank. Here uh, we have uncertainty because we don't know which of them is which now. And and that one we just don't know the identity of. So we just know that it's some vehicle but we don't know what it is. And that could be represented like this. Uh, So we have four vehicles, uh, we have IDs uh, and let's say um, there are two and three, and but we don't know which of them is, is which uh, and then there is one which is has missing type and missing fraction um, One way of representing that is with random variables so it's either b is 2 and c is 3 or the other way around so we could uh, consider these two possibilities and then introduce a random variable which has value 1 or 2 corresponding to whether it's one or the other case and the same for type of vehicle D and Fraction of vehicle D are another uh, binary random variables um, once we've done that we can now do what is called U relation uh, so it's, it's to build uh, several tables so each, for each attribute we have filled build a new table um, and uh, so for vehicle ID we have this um, different possibilities if X is 1 or X is 2 B and C could be 2, 3 or 3, 2 and here for, uh, depending on the value of Y D could be either tank or transport or, and here friend or enemy depending on z. So we have kind of instead of representing it in a single table with uh, with question marks and kind of extra text, uh, we have represented it in, kind of in, a, in a tabular format and, and now we can come from this derive all these possible words with just specifying all possible values for the random variables x, y and z and then these are the neither tank or transport random enemy depending on that uh, assignment of these random variables okay uh, so from this we got here and then we can also introduce uh, probabilities or confidences uh, so, so sorry um, No. Uh, What I meant to say is that, so this was another thing, but from this we can also, if we specify the probabilities, we can also get here. So we can also build this probabilistic table again that we saw saw earlier. Uh, So from U relations we can get back to a probabilistic table uh, which has these uh, generation rules involved now again. But um, there's... Uh, some hope that these tables are smaller because we don't need to represent kind of all possible worlds here uh, we, we just have these a few random variables and uh, each of them is represented separately and uh, uh, the result, resulting probability table which is kind of a combinatorial um, can have combinatorial explosion because of all the possibilities but we necessarily don't need to represent that we can just represent it with u relations um, ok so now uh, we can do uh, the same algorithms that you've learned uh, during these lectures quite a few of them We can kind of make to work with uncertainty in one way or the other so let's see how that can be Uh, so uh, in particular let's see about a priori KNN and k-needs so let's consider this frequent item setting so we have a database of transactions but now each transaction has items But the items are there with some probability, so we are not sure whether, I don't know, whether one person bought uh, a particular item or not Maybe it's not a good example because we probably usually are sure But there are uh, some other examples uh, where you you might have some uncertainty about uh, your items being in the item set or in the transaction. Um, So in that case, uh, if you assume that the items are independent, then the probability that you have now all x, y, and z in a particular transaction becomes a product of these probabilities. Um, And so in a probabilistic transaction database, an item set is frequent. if instead of support, we can now talk about expected supports um, which is which means just kind of on average, if we, we consider these probabilities so on average, this is how whole big proportion of the uh, of the records are expected to have or, or the transactions are expected to have that item set. Uh, and then. So, if you specify a threshold uh, and you have some particular size of the database, d, so then you want to find all item sets that have expected support, uh, at least proportion row of all queries, all records, sorry. And there are methods to make this work. Uh, Note that. Enumerating all possible words is it can be computationally infeasible. So, you might just have too many combinations and uh, uh, you just can't do that. And uh, so, what you might do is to assume that the transactions are independent and then you can efficiently calculate the support, expected support. Uh, and the nice thing is that this. Uh, anti-monotonicity still holds, so that if, if some item set is infrequent, uh, then every superset of it is also infrequent. So we can still do kind of a priori uh, algorithm, uh, and so there is kind of extended version of a priori for working with uncertainty that's called U a priori. Um, Let's take classification now, Uh, so let's say we do one nearest neighbor classification so that's the method where you, uh, for a given test instance in order to classify this you just take your training data and see which of the training instances was closest to this uh, uh, point and look at the class of that instance and then predict that same class for this test instance Uh, and then in order to do that you need to be able to calculate sets because you want to see which one is closest Uh, but what if, uh, so in this setting let's say y is closer but what if we have some uncertainties about the locations Uh, so y could be anywhere here, x could be anywhere there x could be anywhere in this circle and maybe now we suddenly start to look at y and x are we are certain that these are uh, at some distance from each other whereas x and z might be actually very close so now we suddenly need to define a distance measure uh, between the uncertain locations um, and well if we have these uncertainties we really want to take these into account It, according yeah, across different dimensions, the uncertainties might be different. So x-directional and y-directional uncertainties are a bit different. Um, so possibly you've heard about fuzzy clustering. that is also has something about uncertainty, but but in there points are always certain. So if you start fuzzy clustering, you know where your data points are. What is uncertain is, is uh, you're building clusters and these are going to be fuzzy clusters so you're not uh, kind of 100% sure that this point should belong to that cluster but with some probability it could be in some other cluster and third cluster and so on so for each point there is a, a probability of this as being assigned to a particular cluster and that's also called membership degree and there are kind of no sharp boundaries in the um, so, this is a well known method, but, but what we are looking at here is uh, different. So, we have objects that have uncertainty. So, the, the objects that we are clustering, the location is uncertain. Uh, and this can be dealt with. Uh, and it can be dealt with in a way where clusters in the end might be then certain or we could do also fuzzy clustering in this case so maybe we have uncertainty in the points and later uncertainty in the clusters as well but the main thing is that we somehow need to define the distances between points and how that could be done is that um, for instance if we want to calculate what's the Probability that a particular distance is between A and B. Uh, uh, So let's say distance is at least 5 meters but not more than 10 meters. So these are 5 and 10. So that can be calculated as an integral uh, over kind of a density of of the distance uh, function or it's easier to think about this as just a sum uh, overall possibilities let's say if it's a discrete variable then the probability that this distance is 5 the probability it's 6 the probability it's 7 and so on until 10 and if we add them all up then we get the probability that it's between 5 and 10 um, and what we can do as well is to just take expectations so find them. Um, find the expected distance between two points and then, then we need to uh, take the mean of all possible uh, values um, so weighted by the likelihood of those which is just the expected value in terms of probability um, and we can do k-means on certain data uh, just uh, so we might um, use the expected distance and then just run the usual k-means algorithm so instead of the actual uh, distance measure between these points x and y we will have expected distance considering that x could be with certain probability in different locations and y could be in certain probability in different locations then we probably need some mathematics to, uh, to calculate that expected distance but once we have that, then we can use that as a new distance measure and then just run our usual k diagram and it might be possible to speed it up by just kind of calculations uh, somehow that uh, we can be sure that if some points are very far from each other, then we don't need to calculate the distance between them so we can avoid some distance calculation basically uh, if we are doing it uh, smartly uh, but that's uh, that's a bit harder than to implement and uh, so in the final part uh, of this lecture I would like to talk about Gaussian purposes um, and, uh, So what constant processes are working on are continuous attributes, so with uh, discrete attributes it was kind of easy to come up with just all possible words and then then almost sometimes exhaustively do that, Uh, but with continuous that is no way possible, so there are of possible values, so what can we do then? Um, what we need to do something uh, is we need to be able to represent somehow the probability distribution function called PDF or or short for PDF so so for instance a well-known PDF is is normal distribution or Gaussian distribution Um, and uh, for instance we might have a th- thermometer and the center reading is 10 and then we might have a probability distribution around that value 10 so it might be a normal distribution with mean 10 and then perhaps standard deviation one, like, uh, and that particular curve like PDF um, and uh, if we want to still represent these things in a relational database maybe we, we need to Write something like Gaussian mean variance uh, in the database. Uh, or this is another distribution, uniform distribution in a circle with particular center, particular radius. Um, so we might be able to do that for all attributes somehow. Um, but uh, the question is. Well, maybe the distributions are not so nice, uh, Gaussians, and uh, then we can't represent them this way. And uh, so we saw that it's possible to do um, several algorithms. Let me go back to this. So, several algorithms can be working with uncertainty. something from classification, something from clustering, frequent items of mining Regression is another one Uh, and the question is can we do something with regression Regression is predicting a random variable that is real real-valued, So that's the continuous case So that's a bit trickier and, and this is what Gaussian processes are particularly good for Or at least they are one possible way of doing it Uh, but um, it's a really nice way of doing that in in some sense and and, uh, you will see in a moment uh, why so um, the rest of the lecture i'm going to talk about gaussian processes uh, and what can they do so let's say we have uh, these data points and we want to just uh, figure out what function did these data points come from? What kind of curve should we put through those red points? And there are so few points that, well, there are so many ways of putting a curve through these that we really don't know. Um, but another question we might have is that in a particular location, let's say here, we want to figure out what, what the likely value for this uh, function in this point is, and well, maybe because the function should go somewhere around here and somewhere around there, maybe it's reasonable to think that it is somewhere here. But we have still very big uncertainty about where exactly, because it's clearly not a linear function. So, uh, but if it's quite smooth, then it's somewhere around here. But there is still clearly a a lot of uncertainty, so in that sense, we don't know. Now, Gaussian processes uh, are a family of functions, a really, really deep family of functions, and uh, and a kind of a methods of reasoning on, on top of that. And uh, so, what kind of questions can Gaussian processes answer? So some of them are here. So Given some data points and consider many possible functions. So, what Gaussian processes can tell you is that which of those functions is more likely and which of those functions is less likely. And which of them, particularly, is most likely. Um, Under some assumptions, of course, but uh, these are pretty simple and nice assumptions. And um, also, what it can do. It's just to give you some examples about what could be uh, the functions. So it can give you several uh, different functions, which all are kind of reasonable, to reasonably nicely going through these points, and they are all possible. So it's kind of a way to show uh, show you many possible worlds, as many as you want. It can just you can kind of sample from that. Uh, distribution, that the Gaussian process is fine and you can also say uh, things with confidence so you can say how confident uh, the Gaussian processes are that uh, the function goes through this particular uh, region. Uh, So if the points are here, does it go through here? Yes, with probability 90% it does go through there. So this is all that you can do with GP's. so before we get to actual Gaussian processes, let's remind ourselves what a Gaussian distribution itself is, or normal distribution. Well, it's this curve, and uh, it has some mean, and it has some standard deviation, which is sigma, and then this is two sigma, two standard deviations. Um, and it has a probability density function, so this red curve is probability density function, that has a particular form which has this mu in here the mean, and the standard deviation and if you square it then it becomes a variance so that's a variance term. um yes well that's from probability theory but there's also a multivariate Gaussian um, so you can do in two dimensions you can define a Gaussian as well and this is a nice kind of hill uh, and it could be circular here or it can be kind of elongated um, and uh, this is a formula, which you don't need to know for now um, but uh, so if if, um, if just the one-dimensional normal distribution had uh, this um, standard deviation and mean as parameters so what are the parameters of this one? And one parameter is still mean, so what's the cent- where is the center of this hill? But then another the one is instead of just variance, there is uh, what is called covariance matrix, that is the sigma, which tells you in which way this is elongated and how big the hill is uh, or how flat or how peaked the hill is. Um, and this is covariance matrix the sigma. So in two-dimensional cases, it's two two-by-two matrix, and if, if you go to bigger dimensions, then it's uh, a bigger matrix. Um, in particular, so if you have this matrix, if you have 1, 1, and 0, 0, then it is a circular one with, without elongation. But if there are some uh, higher or lower values here, then it becomes elongated. Okay, now let's look at an elongated Gaussian. Uh, So the blacks over black ovals are are these kind of representing the the hill. And now as from usual normal distribution, you can sample and get a real value. From two-dimensional Gaussian, you can sample and get a pair of values. So these are these points, all those uh, purple points and then in particular I have brought out three points here and uh, so they have one coordinate and another coordinate and um, let me call them fx1 and fx2 and uh, then I can draw this kind of cloud of things so let me put x1 here and x2 here and uh, just uh, draw a point red point uh, there because the value of FX1 is 0.5 or so 0.3 uh, is there and the value of FX2 is a bit less than, a bit more than that. so X2 is up there. So this is kind of a just a different way of visualizing uh, this, these particular samples from the Gaussian uh, from a two, 2 dimensional Gaussian now if we go to higher dimensions we can't do these kind of plots anymore but we still can do these kind of plots so if there is a 6 dimensional Gaussian centered at, uh, let, let it be centered again at, at 0 uh, in each of the dimensions And let it also be elongated in a way that x1 and x2 are highly correlated here. And let's say x2 and x3 are also highly correlated. And x3 and x4 are also highly correlated in that six-dimensional Gaussian. Then as a result, we have uh, one sample from that six-dimensional Gaussian could be represented like this. Another one, another one. And this is now leading to the Gaussian uh, process. So if we just go to 25 dimensions, this might be what we get. And if we go to, well, let's say, for all practical purposes, infinite dimensional, maybe when we actually draw them, they are not infinite dimensional. we would just still keep a fixed number of dimensions. but um, the mathematics behind generalizes to infinite dimensions. So, um, uh, let me see if I want to say anything from here. Okay, let's see here. Uh, but what is important is, is this uh, covariance structure. Um, so, the Gaussians that are uh, that corresponding to the so, the particular dimensions that are close by, uh, so here we, we, we say that dimensions x2 and x3 are kind of next to each other, uh, which is a bit, yes, strange thing to, to say, but uh, this is how Gaussian processes work. So, we somehow order the dimensions uh, in a five dimensional space,
1: I put them to particular locations on the x axis. Yep. because that what it, usually the dimensions are independent order. usually we think, but right, because they are totally uh, arbitrary order right but in here you impose some sort of ordering yes so um, what is the what well, you make them look very continuous uh, so what is that uh, mechanism how, how do you impose the order so um,
0: here I'm, I'm, I'm looking them like continuous because I'm drawing the lines here well strictly speaking they are still just these points and there there is no line in here Uh, but they are close by in the sense that the value of the y-axis is uh, similar for points that are close by um, or dimensions that are close by so the way it is done is just that when I'm defining this uh, Gaussian, high-dimensional Gaussian, I'm just making sure that particular dimensions are highly correlated. And uh, let me just, uh, if I first, um, there's no order in the dimensions. I think
1: if you go to the next one, so the long, in there. Yeah. there are like synthesized, but for the red, somehow you could connect the the first and then what is in the two thirds, why don't you why do you let this sort of like up, down, up um, well they are
0: the only thing that is fixed is that um, so the, the way that you create this kind of a well think of, so let's, let's look at this two-dimensional case here and, and suppose you try to implement an algorithm to draw from this two-dimensional Gaussian one possible way of implementing that is is to fix some ordering on your uh, dimensions and start to sample in that order so let's do that so let's first draw from fx1 Uh, so mathematics mathematics says that if you have high dimensional Gaussian if you um, marginalize out all the others. So if you project it on one of the axes, it's also a Gaussian. So you can draw just a single Gaussian from here. And let's say the value becomes 0.7 or whatever it is here. So you've drawn a particular value. Now you're wondering how to, how to draw the, the next dimension. And because of the particular structure of covariance that we have there, you can see that it should be drawn from a Gaussian which is, uh, has pretty narrow variance. And visually, you can here visualize it like this. And so you, you have already drawn one value for one dimension, and now we are drawing another one. And so that is drawn with a, from, a random, from a Gaussian distribution, distribution which is centered here but uh, has some variance. And that's why this point is kind of close by, but it's not exactly the same. And this is happening here as well. So you start to kind of draw um, from Gaussians, but every next one is kind of restricted to be close by to the previous one. And the reason that this is um, fluctuating... From the first hill to the
1: second, the second hill is more close by to the first hill top. That's what I'm saying. Ah, okay. The closeness
0: is... uh, on this x-axis, rather, so you're, you're looking at, um, you're drawing uh, from your Gaussians. Each next one from uh, is defined from the previous one, basically. Actually, it's affected by the one before and so on as well, but much weaker. And then they, they are kind of drawn uh, this manner. The reason they are. Uh, fluctuating like that, perhaps, is that there is also a, a tendency to be close to zero, uh, so that um, there is a mean function that holds them together close to zero, and then because because the Gaussian originally is centered at zero. So I think I, I can't probably give you more, more detailed uh, intuition here, but, um, um, but yeah I think that's pretty much the best I can do um, But uh, so there are importantly there are mean and covariance structure is, is what matters and once you fix those you will have a unique model high dimensional Gaussian from which you can draw samples and each of the samples can be represented as this kind of function um, and so currently there is, um, well, it's, um, it's a nice uh, toy, but uh, we haven't done anything with this yet. So we can just draw these kind of uh, uh, different uh, shapes uh, of curves. And well, they are parameterized by their mean and the, the covariance structure, and this is the covariance structure. So this is saying that um, the dimensions that are, closer have a higher covariance so they are so this is kind of uh, making them into functions so if you take two points which are very close by then the function values also need to be close and that's kind of encoded in this Um, and choosing different uh, parametric forms for this uh, you can get different properties and so in particular these this is Brownian motion, actually, uh, due to this particular form uh, of covariance structure. Um, okay, and then we, we can play with the parameters. So here's another value, of, uh, another form of a parametric form of covariance functions, and there are some parameters. Theta zero doesn't affect anything, but theta one, theta two, theta three to have an effect. In particular, theta 1 is kind of making the curves to be either slowly moving or fastly moving. And then there are uh, other things uh, like um, theta 2 makes them um, uh, change in a different range, range so they can be further away. And theta 3 is introducing some. Uh, slopes to these curves, I believe, um, and interestingly, so this is all kind of in one dimension, so we have one dimensional curve, uh, so one uh, function has a single uh, attribute, but you can go to higher dimensions with all, of this. all of everything remains the same, the only thing that you need to specify is the mean function and then this covariance structure which is uh, kind of specifying that if you have two points, how close uh, should the values be, depending on how far they are, and that's called the kernel function. And um, so, in particular, so let's say blue is one sample from the Gauss uh, Gaussian process, and then then we have another sample which has a different shape, and we can sample as as many as we like. Um, and so the Gaussian process is a very general thing, so it's, um, the probability distribution is indexed by an arbitrary set So we have to look at real values and uh, uh, multi-dimensional, two-dimensional real values But um, it can be anything else as well And then at any point there is a Gaussian distribution and these are all linked So if you have closer points then yeah, they have, the Gaussians are correlated um, and then, if you take any finite subset of points, then that defines a multivariate Gaussian distribution. And there's uh, loads of uh, uh, formulas behind. But uh, um, if you actually implement this, it's it's not. You can use libraries for doing that, and so it's not that bad. Um, and depending on what uh, kernel uh, functions you use. Uh, various structures, you can, you can put these things on top of many other other structures not only real values, but, but actually graphs, strings, sets and so on um, but still we haven't done anything uh, regarding inference and, and regarding uh, uh haven't, haven't said really about the data yet we, we, we just draw some nice curves, but that's it so what the whole point of it is, is that we start with um, this kind of cloud of curves and then we observe some data so we yeah. have a particular data set we know that the value of the function here is this and here is that and now we are looking at all possible functions that go through these points and then we can say something more interesting so if we that's the prior distribution, just any curves, in Gaussian process uh, samples And then we observe that the value of the function here is this, here is that, and so on And then suddenly we can draw curves that go through this, these points And also we, we see then there is some uncertainty about if we take a point in between What is, this, what is the value of this point? of this function, of the true function here um, and there is less uncertainty if the points are close by there is more uncertainty the, far, the further we go from the original points uh, here we, we force the curves to go through these points but we don't need to do that so we can say, defining in the models that uh, points are also noisy so we can... Uh, Ask about all curves that go approximately through these points. So the green one is the true function from which blue ones were uh, taken from with added uh, noise. Uh, so that's the way that was the way to generate the data. And then we uh, fit the Gaussian process and uh, get the uh, red curve. And that is the red curve is the mean of the Gaussian process that we learn. But then there is also uh, variance around it, and the, colour, the background is dark uh, whenever we are within two standard deviations uh, confidence region. Uh, well, that um, that looks nice. I think, uh, especially if we start to think about um, more complex domains. So, for instance, uh, let's say we have a Have a look. Uh, we are observing people in the city, and uh, we are, we want to fit the probability distribution. How often people are on average in particular regions? So, uh, maybe in the center, there are many people, and uh, so there is a high peak there. Uh, maybe if we look at different times, and uh, in the during the night in the residential areas there are higher peaks and if we want to kind of build a nice smooth function on top of this this can be done with Gaussian processes uh, and we can also fit at the same time the space, two-dimensional space and time uh, within the 24 hours let's say and uh, that can all done, be done in the Gaussian process so we can get a nice and uh, continuous curve so, um, this is all nice, but the question is: uh, Are there any uh, tricks involved? Do we, do we, is it always that easy to fit them? And uh, the truth is, well, not exactly. They can they, they kind be of fit uh, with some. Um, well, you need to. There are some hyperparameters that you need to specify, and in particular, there is some kind of a length scale. Uh, Of that covariance structure, so if we kind of make it too short, then the function starts to kind of uh, behave pretty weirdly because it wants to be on average close to zero. So then, kind of for each point, goes away from zero. So it's it's pretty bad function to approximate these points with. But then you start to increase this length scale, and uh, it gets nicer. Answer. And so you have some uncertainty, but uh, well, you've decided to model these points with noise, that's why you have wide directional uncertainty remaining. But if you go too far with it, it starts to make it overly smooth, and in the end you will end up with um, pretty much a straight line. So it's, um, there are some parameters involved in fitting Gaussian processes. And there are smart ways to to pick the right values for the parameters. Uh, We're not going to discuss those. Uh, What I just want to do is to summarize Gaussian processes. So these are infinite dimensional Gaussian distributions. And these can be used to solve regression tasks taking into account all of the uncertainties. And uh, you can fit them by specifying the mean and covariance functions. And It matters which ones you choose. Um, because otherwise you can overfit, which was this, or you can underfit, which was a straight line. And the Gaussian processes are universal function approximators. So they can, in principle, they can approximate any function, any single function. Uh, so whatever weird function you have in your data, you can still do that with Gaussian processes. You can fit that with Gaussian processes. Um, And to summarize the whole lecture, um, I think that um, that taking uncertainty into account is important, but it clearly requires analysis to identify what the uncertainties are. Uh, It requires extra techniques to be able to store that uncertainty in the data somehow. Um, But once you've done that, it allows richer queries. richer descriptions of your data and um, also do better predictions if that's what you need to do um, but it's all computationally more expensive because that uh, taking uncertainty into account needs extra computations I think uncertainty is almost everywhere it's, it's just a matter of finding kind of a good balance so um, in a practical data mining task you probably Well, it's too expensive to take all uncertainties into account and in some cases it's maybe okay to ignore the uncertainties at all Uh, perhaps even in many cases but sometimes you really want to address uh, uncertainty and then then there are different machineries that you can apply and uh, I have types here only a few machineries and there are many more So that's it, thank you Um, I'm happy to uh, supervise any theses if you are interested, um, and this is these are the topics that we covered. So thank you. Questions?
1: How to actually quantify these
0: probabilities in the probabilistic tables? Are the estimations of probabilities uncertain? Yes, uh, they. They uh, surely are. So uh, one thing is, it's just that there needs to be some kind of domain expert who who knows a lot about that domain, who has either worked with these sensors or has uh, mm-hmm. some intuition about what the uncertainties are, and then it's often just about writing down some numbers, and maybe in many cases it doesn't matter so much. Whether you write in that probability table 0.4 or 0.3, the more data you get, the less it starts to matter usually. Um, Well, it depends of course. If you have like a million records and writing probabilities for each of those. Yes, yes, you probably want to have some kind of categories of uh, records which you are sure of and then records which you are less sure of. Maybe you have some rules about uh, identifying particular subsets that you have uh, less uncertainty about. Maybe you, have, you know that some fraction of your customers are behaving uh, irrationally, and, and then you, you want to have more uncertainty about those uh, customers, and some are really big and very regular, always behave the same way, and there you have, don't have any uncertainty. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's different in
1: every case, I'm sure. I read that the Industrial Revolution was led by mathematics and scientific methods. So these mathematics and scientific methods are leading the information revolution now. As you saw, it was 10 years ago, most of the sites were from 2007 and 2008. Um, I wonder when, when do these extensions get into the uh, industrial uh, database systems, for of these um, uncertainty-worried in SQL queries. Yeah, well,
0: think of a self-driving car driving around. It's very uncertain about all of its surroundings. The sensors are good, but they're they not perfect anywhere. So it needs to deal with all of that uncertainty. And now, uh, when they're riding around, so. Um, they need to work with all of those uncertainties, uh, they can't just ignore them. Uh, and I'm sure there are many other
1: predictions where this is true as well. It's scary that first uh, there was this prediction that maybe the big lorries, the big trucks, will go driverless first. Imagine them doing stupid things on the road, uh, running over your set cars. cars. Okay. So I I think we can wrap up uh, this lecture and and, uh, all the lectures of this course. Next week we will have the poster session. I think we have to have that in the 405. Um, There was a exam request actually for some of the tutorial, but we can't have the poster session here. So uh, I think we will have it in 405 next next week and I hope that your projects are getting close to finishing. Uh, make sure to leave about two days for printing and, and last polishing of the posters. And uh, yeah, and and uh, the exam. So exam, for example, you you have uh, you can take one A4 sheet, uh, one side of that, and you can write anything on top of that, and you can use that sheet. Uh, in the exam, so write out maybe the VS formula uh, or something like that, just to be uh,
0: sure that you have some basic uh,
1: background there. Um, that's it. So let's have got the reaction. And that's it Sellest... kas ek üles ei tulnud ei.